How many of you know that what you believe is important? If you don't believe the law of gravity works, and you climb up on a high building and jump off, you're still going to get hurt. If you believe something that is false, it can hurt you. And that's true in all realms of life. So today I want to impress something upon us about what we believe is important. Looking at worldview specifically. Now you saw in the announcements this morning about the class beginning Wednesday night. And this book that you saw part of a while ago, Love Your Body, by Nancy Piercy, is kind of the general outline of those four Wednesday nights. Classes. This morning, I want to lay a foundation for that class and put the emphasis on worldview. What is worldview? It's a philosophy of life or a perception of the world. It's how you see the world from where you are today. And worldview can change, thank God. For many of us, we've had a view of things that was false that would hurt you, that would cause you to fail in life, or even fail for eternity. But by some means or other, we've been able to recover from that and learn what is truth. Not just what is factual by the news media, but what is truth. And it's the truth that sets you free from the false things in life. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Thank God for that. So, your worldview affects everything. It affects everything. Now, here are a few things that help us shape our worldview. The first is the family, or lack thereof, will affect... Your worldview. If you were raised in a good, Bible-believing Christian family, thank God for it. Not everybody has been. You've been privileged if you've had that type of upbringing. Thank God for that. And that has shaped many things that you believe. It has shaped your activity and your behaviors. But it hasn't been perfect. For none of us. It hasn't been perfect. I was raised by a Christian family in a rural setting. Went to church three times a week from the time I was two weeks old. I was raised in a pew. So I know all about that. I was raised in an area where we believed there was Almighty God first, family second, and UK Wildcats third. Now, you got to get your priorities right, folks. That was the order. I didn't say that was 100% correct. I said that was the order in our family. Now, we knew about the University of Louisville Cardinals. I knew about them, but I didn't, you know, have a lot of interactions thereof. And because that... A lot of people in our area, you know, we're fairly close to St. Louis, you know, closer than we are from Louisville. And, and so we 
really liked the St. Louis Cardinals. I used to listen to them on Sunday afternoon on the radio. And so that was my favorite pro baseball team. And that was pretty much true in the whole family. What am I saying? The family you're raised in affects you. And if they're teaching and training you correctly, biblically, that's a mighty good thing. If they're teaching you a bunch of things that are not biblical, that needs to change. So your family is a good place uh, to get your worldview affected. Secondly is education. And this is kind of iffy. Why would I say that? Because many of the philosophies of the current public educational system are anti-biblical. There's no nice way to say it. It's just anti-biblical. It's not in line with truth. It may be in line with certain facts that they've come up with, but and some of those facts are good, but there are, some are not in line with truth. The truth of godliness, righteousness, etc. And then life experiences is another way to develop a worldview. In fact, that one, in some cases, has had greater influence than the previous two. You know, I believe what is true if it happened to me. That's the view that many of us take. You know, we believe our experience lots of times more than we believe what the Bible says. I know the Bible says that, but my experience has been... Anybody ever thought that way? We, have, we see what the Bible says through the, the lens or from the viewpoint of our experiences. Well, that may be my experience, but the truth of the matter is, God says this. And His Word rules supreme over everything else, as far as this world is concerned. So, experiences are a big one. Your religious experience and training is another way that it develops and, and shapes your worldview. I went to a Bible college that was very fundamental. Very, very conservative. In fact, we were so conservative and narrow-minded, we could see through a keyhole with both eyes. In fact, we were so convinced that nobody but our group was going to heaven. Now we did add, we did kind of modulate that just a little bit there at the end of the college course, in that we believed there was a few good Methodist, sanctified Methodist grandmothers that might make it in. But beyond that, we didn't think anybody else was going. We had a, we had a hold on heaven. Do you know what I discovered? And I discovered it first from the Word of God, and then I experienced it later. And that is, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. That was not a truth. That was, that was kind of what we got from the teaching that was made available at the time, but it wasn't true. So what are you going to do? You're going to believe that or are you going to believe what the Bible plainly says? And so I had to come to the point of saying, well, Lord, your word said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. It didn't say the name of my church or your church or this group or that group. It said, whosoever will let him come and taste of the water of life freely. So you know what I've come to? Here's my view on that. 
your tag don't matter. I don't think when you get to heaven, there's going to be a Baptist group over here, a Catholic group over there, a few sanctified Methodists over there. No, no, no. The tags are not going to be there. Not going to be any tags like that. You're going to be a child of God who was redeemed by the blood and grace of God. And you got in not because you were good, but because He was good. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? I don't know about you, but that's kind of freeing. And then there's another view that people get to that shapes their worldview, and that's social media. And in case you haven't learned this yet, listen up. Not everything you see and hear is true. Everything on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and I don't know the names of the rest of them, it's not all true. In fact, my belief is that most of it is probably not true. So, but you know, that shapes people's worldview. And it's becoming a more powerful medium to do so. In the political realm, in other social media aspects, it shapes the way people believe. Well, I read this. I read it over here. It must be true. Well, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, why don't you just believe the Bible and let that go? It may be a good tool to use on occasion. In fact, I like to get on Facebook and write Scripture. And believe me, I get some unusual comments from time to time. (laughs) But at least if they read what I said, they heard something. So those are some ways. Music, movies are ways and avenues that shape people's worldview of things. But again, that's not always truth. The big idea is this. Many people treat morality as a list of rules. But in reality, every world system rests on a worldview. In every decision we make, we're not just deciding what we want to do. We're expressing our view of the purpose of human life. That's the big idea of what we want to share with us today. About 50 plus years ago, there was a man over in Europe named Francis Schaeffer. Many of you probably have read some of his books. Very good theologian in the sense that he could deal with some of the very uh, basic yet in-depth truths and make them readable and understandable. And he came up with the concept that we would call two-story thinking. And the first little graph we're going to show you up here is how the concept of truth has been divided. Now let's start with the bottom one first. He said that looking at life and the things we believe oftentimes gets divided into the secular or the spiritual, or it gets divided into things that can be based on science or feelings and beliefs. That's the upper story, and what would be called scientific is the bottom story. 
And under scientific, we say, well, this is public knowledge. It's objective and it's valid for everyone. We could just wish that was true. Because, folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but everything that is said to be scientific is not necessarily scientific. Okay? Now, that may be hard to believe for science teachers, but that's a fact. It may be, it may not be. But in the upper level up there, he said, well, we got theology here, we got morality here, and that's private, it's subjective, it's relativistic. In other words, it's private. I've got my own belief system. I've got my own theology. I've got my own morality. Now, what's okay for me may not be okay for you. And what's okay for you may not be okay for me. It's all relative. It's all subjective. Do you know there's lots of people that have divided their life up into these categories, these stories? The first story, the second story. And as a result, their belief system is quite confusing. Look at the next slide. The split in Western thought. There was the great enlightenment tradition, modernism, which led us to have nationalism, materialism, naturalism, and the other isms come under that. And then in the top story, the romantic tradition, which brings about the lifestyle and the belief system in justice, freedom, morals, meaning for life, idealism, etc. That's the romantic tradition. That was a split in Western thought. Going back to uh, Francis Schaeffer. Now a quote from the book that we'll be looking at. Listen to this. The key to understanding all the convert. Uh, controversial issues of our day is that the concept of a human being has likewise been fragmented into an upper and lower story. Secular thought today assumes a body-person split with the body being defined in the fact realm, the scientific realm, by imperial science and the person defined in the values realm as the basis for rights. That's the upper story. We have become not a unified person or an integrated person. We have split ourselves, as it were, into various categories. This, you can see this very easy in a whole lot of realms. For example, when it comes to political things. Please bear with me. I'm not getting into politics today. I'm going to use it as an illustration. But, you know, are you a conservative or are you a liberal? We hear things like that all the time. And we have, we have tags so that we can pigeonhole each other. Right? If, if, if I know that you are a conservative, then what that says to me is you have certain beliefs. It may be conservative financially. It may be conservative in how governments run themselves, how they handle their affairs. On the other hand, if you are a liberal, then you believe that certain other things, probably just as strongly as the person does who says he's conservative. So we like to pigeonhole things. 
But now let's, let's sharpen the blade a little bit more specifically to a category, the rest of this message, about a tragedy that's been going on in our country since 1973. Again, a quote from that book by Nancy Piercy. If a baby is human life from conception, but not a person until sometime later, then clearly these are two separate things. A human, but not a person. This belief was solidified by Roe v. Wade in 1973, which ruled that the baby in the womb is human, but it is not a person under the 14th Amendment. Now, listen carefully. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Now, that's actual wording from the 14th Amendment. Now, let's parse those words for a little bit. All persons born. Stop there. Roe v. Wade said, the baby in the womb is a human being, but he's not born yet. He's a human, but he's not born, so he's not a person. That's the legal finagling that they took to determine that definition. He is a, she is a, per, that a human, a human being, that's normally called a fetus, but he's not a person. They're not a person until they actually get on the outside. Now keep that in mind because that's going to be illustrative and important later. All persons born or naturalized in the United States, they went through, they became legal citizens, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Are you aware of the fact that in this country, some ambassadors and their families and their workers, though they reside in the United States legally, they're not under the jurisdiction of the United States. They don't have to follow all the same laws that you and I do. And they base that on the 14th Amendment. But back to our topic. You have a human, non-person, as long as the baby's in the womb. Once that baby comes out, now he is a person. When he's in the womb, he's just material. But once it gets born, then he's a person or she's a person. In the womb, you can do basically anything you want to do with it. That's how it's interpreted and how it's applied. Let me read this. If you favor abortion, you're implicitly saying that in the early stages of life, an unborn baby has so little value that it can be killed for any reason or for no reason without any moral consequences, whatever your feelings. That is a very low view of life, 
By sheer logic, you must say that at some later time, the baby becomes a person, at which time it acquires such high value that killing it would be a crime. And the only difference is location. In our day in this country, one of the most dangerous places to be is in the womb. You know why? Because of that worldview. As long as it's in the womb, you can do anything. Once it comes out, it's a person. But are you aware that just recently some states in this country are making laws now? They're changing their particular laws to say, even if it's unwanted, it's okay to kill it even after it's born. That is a different take, a more serious take, if you please, than ever before. The implication that as long as a preborn child is deemed to be human but not a person, it's disposable piece of matter, like a piece of wood. It can be used for research and experiments, tinkered with genetically, harvested for organs, and then disposed of with the other medical waste. It fits a human, but not a person. But you know what the truth of the matter is? You are both human and a person. And it's not because you've been born. It's because that's what God says about you. You're a human. You're a part of the human race. And you are a person that Scripture says have been made in the image of God. That means He has ascribed value to you. And to prove that, I want to read Psalm 139, or at least portions of it. For you formed my inner parts. You wove or covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame or my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, there would be more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. That sounds like to me God knows what He's doing. I choose to believe. What you believe is important. I choose to believe the greatest authority of all. And that's God in His Word. The greatest authority. I remember going to naturopathic medical school taking anatomy and physiology. And the more I discovered through those courses, dissections of human bodies and all of that, instead of being grossed out at it, you know what it did for me? It caused me to rejoice. I mean, I believed God before, but I was really excited to discover new things that I didn't yet know of how God created this body and put it together. 
The tree in of brain cells. Wow. You know what that says to me? You have potential to be smart. Now, where you are or not, that's another, that's another issue. But the potential is there. I discovered in class, and get this one. The Library of Congress has 25 million volumes in it. And the human brain, get this, has the potential to know, that is, memorize every letter, every word, every chapter of every book that's in the Library of Congress. So when you say, boy, my my head hurts, I must be running out of space up there, you're really not. Don't worry about it. You got plenty of space yet. Some of us more than others, but there's plenty of space. And so when I read that, I said, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That means there's a lot of things that he's done that he's prepared us for. That's amazing. You know, humans can't do that. Humans can't do that. But our God can. Our daddy can. Our daddy God, he made us. And if one part's not functioning correctly, he can recreate and redo it. He can heal it. You covered me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In other words, God knew how you were going to look before you ever looked in the mirror. (laughs) And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when there was as yet none of them. And the psalmist David had nothing to say but Praise and worship to God. You were formed by God. You were wonderfully, fearfully made. God has a plan for you from the beginning. And the greatness of God is beyond our comprehension. Boy, we have a great Savior. And you know what? He knows what He's doing. And it's our responsibility to trust Him. To believe Him and trust Him. And when you discover areas of your life that are not yet totally submitted and perfected as it needs to be, then you know what you can do? You can come to God and say, God, I want you to work on me. I want you to change my belief system. It's not as correct as I see the Bible saying it should be. I want you to address that with me. And I want to leave us today with a challenge. Verse 23 and 24 of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. One translation says thoughts. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I want to challenge us with this idea. Does your worldview promote 
loving God? Does it promote loving God? Does it promote loving your neighbor as yourself? Does it promote protecting the unborn? Does it promote racial equality? Does it promote Galatians 3.28? Which has this to say. I want to read it lest I misquote it. I've read so many translations, sometimes they all get jumbled up. And I quote part King James, part NIV, part Amplified. And every once in a while I throw in a Greek word. The Bible says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's how Father sees you. He doesn't say, okay, that's a female, that's a male. That's a Jew, that's a non-Jew. That's a slavery person, that's a free person. Often said like this, the ground around the cross is level. It's level. You qualify. You qualify if Jesus is Lord. And everything else is immaterial to that. Is Jesus Lord? Do your belief systems promote loving God, loving your neighbor, racial equality, Does your belief system promote the realization that we're all one in Christ? I have a book in my office written by an African-American pastor and a white pastor. And it's called One Race and One Blood. If you haven't read that, I would challenge you to get it and read it. It might help your worldview. And what they are trying to get across to the readers is this. There's one race of humans on the earth. That's the human race. That's the human race. There's one race on the earth. And it's called the human race. And scripture says, I believe it's Acts 17, 26. That He has made of all creation one blood. One blood. One race, one blood. You and I need to see each other that way. The differences are superficial. Well, they're there, but they're superficial. The real issue is what you got on the inside. And what's your worldview so that it promotes what God put on the inside of you into everyday life. And what you believe makes a big difference in doing that. Father, I pray for every one of us here today. I thank you that you're King of kings and that you're Lord of lords. We confess you as our Lord, our Savior, our Master, and our God. We declare in this place today that Jesus is supremely Lord over every one of us. And that as our Lord, we invite you 
to change and to adjust our worldview so that it becomes increasingly in line with what your word teaches. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the times that you've brought me up short to change something in the way I believe and think. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you adjust us from time to time by the voice of the Holy Spirit that we call conviction. And Lord, we believe today that we have yet much area to get worked on still. So, Father, we pray that you would cause us to come to grips with what your word and your spirit is saying to us today in this place. And Lord, for that, we give you thanks. We give you praise. I want us to take just a few minutes, and everybody take just a few minutes to to think about those questions. Does your belief system promote loving God supremely? Does it promote loving your neighbor as yourself? Does it promote racial equality? Does it promote human life, the value of human life? Does it promote the realization that we're all one race and of one blood? Look at your own life and see if it does those things. Father, we pray you would change us where we need to be changed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Earlier during praise and worship, I had the sense that there was someone here today Some time ago, you believed something that someone told you. You accepted it as fact. And you acted accordingly. But it did not turn out the way that you were told or you expected it to be. And as a result of that, you are very upset, hurt at that person who told you that. And the word of the Lord to you today is this. You have to forgive them. Whether they deserve it or not is beside the point. You deserve to be free from it. And to be free from it, you need to forgive them. Whoever that is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray like this. Say, Father God, I choose to forgive and insert their name. I choose to forgive them for what they said that caused me to make this decision. I release them from that. And I thank you that you forgive me, Father, for my mistakes and my errors. And redeem the situation. And I give you thanks for it. Pray that way. 
begins with a choice, begins with a decision, but it's experienced as reality as you forgive them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.